Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. Hi, this is Tom, and normally on the show, you would expect to hear some exciting scenes from this week's program, like the guy just said, but this is our 2014 Best of Super Sampler. So this show is nothing but exciting scenes that we've clipped from all 50 or however many shows there were. And so there are no exciting scenes here in this spot because that would be redundant later. Uh, But sit through the traditional opening and you'll hear nothing but the very best of 2014. And with that, here's the open. Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. It's time, America. Mr. and Mr. North of South American, all ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in, place your tray table in its upright lock position, and get ready for big time radio, friends. It's time for... Tuesday, January 14th, 2014, episode 232. I'm Tom Gully, and tonight on the Tom Gully Show, the year 2014 was a banner year for the Tom Gully Show. Our listenership exploded in terms of plays, downloads, and subscribers. In fact, in 2014, the Tom Gully Show more than quadrupled our listenership, not just from the previous year, but from all the previous years added together. And it's no wonder. This year, we were proud to provide you over 100 hours of podcasts, videos, and webcasts filled with celebrities, authors, musicians, trips to events, and just about anything else that we could think of. But why listen to me tell you about what I'm going to tell you about? Let's let her rip as we take you through a year's worth of the very best that we could possibly do. Tonight on our 2014 Super Sampler episode of The Tom Gully Show. January 6th, Laurie Downey, Jr., wife of legendary talk show host Morton Downey, Jr. Oh, man. This story of Morton Downey Jr. has more facets to it than is... We could talk for weeks about... And we're gonna. And so I wanted to know more about this guy that was smoking a million cigarettes, blowing smoke in people's faces, (laughs) and uh, those red socks and those big teeth, which I call them the gates of hell. um, Let me tell you something. More people have been killed in the name of Jesus... You know, we've had the Crusades War. We've had all these wars. They've all been killed by guys like you who now preach forgiveness. You guys were going to no, forgive if you no, could drive the bow up the butt. Watching his show was like 
grabbing a live electric current. You didn't even have to agree with him, and many times you, you, you might not, but right. that it was magnetic. He was uh, a lobbyist. He worked for um, the Carter administration. He worked with Nixon. He uh, was very close to Ronald Reagan. Well, as we celebrate the 4th tonight, all right, there's a war going on in the streets of America, a war on drugs and the slime that smuggles them in and the low lives that sell them to our kids. And now there's a group in this country that says, hey, let's legalize all the drugs. Make them as American as apple pie. And how even Uncle Sam is probably a drug dealer. Join us. What they used to do was give him in his coffee cup, there'd be a, um, instead of coffee, there would be vodka. And so he would be drinking vodka in between, you know, all of his segments. He lit a cigarette with the flick of the bick. I turn around, I look at him, and our eyes met. And he just made a straight line to me. And he said, has this ever happened to you before? January 15th. Ron Neckerman, tour manager survivor of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. So here we were at 15,000 feet, and we were about an hour outside of our destination of Baton Rouge, and the uh, engines backfired. And uh, then the uh, flight deck door flew open, and the co-pilot said, uh, prepare for an emergency landing. So, you know, that was scary enough. And then... A few minutes later, he popped his head out again, and the engines were starting to sputter at that time. And uh, he popped back around and said, prepare for a crash landing. Mm. And you would think there would be a lot of panic. There wasn't. Ronnie was laying down on the floor of the plane, and uh, Gene Odom, our security guy, woke Ronnie up and got him strapped into a seat. Artemis Pyle was running up and down, and in his panic, he never found a seat. But there was no screaming or anything. Everybody just went silent. And that was the quietest time. There was no engine noise, no vibration other than the air, and no noise except for the air rushing outside the plane. And, uh, you know, it was dead quiet. Now, I was in the very back of the plane. I was playing poker, and I had three direct employees of mine on that flight. And one of them uh, took our poker table, ripped it out of the wall, and uh, poker chips and Money went everywhere, and, you know, I guess I was winning. I don't really remember, but I, I remember the thought I had was, how are we ever going to straighten out this pot? <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing, I, I looked outside, the, you know, I looked out the windows, and there was an open field, and there was a highway, and then there was a forest. So I figured the pilots would put it in down on this open highway, and my thoughts were we're going to look very stupid, with uh, 25 people hitchhiking down the highway. Mm -hmm. So I never thought we'd crash. You know, the whole way down, I just did not think we were crashing. And then we started hitting the trees. And we came down in the forest. For some reason, the pilots uh, didn't choose the highway or the open field. They hit the forest. And we started hearing the trees, uh, treetops hitting the plane. It sounded like machine guns going off. Mm -hmm. So that was the first time I knew we were going to crash. And uh, it's a horrific feeling to, to know that. And we were coming down, you know, we were traveling. Uh, we, we were coming in fast. and we, But we were gliding, you know. The, the plane did hold its glide ratio, so we did have time to get to a safe spot to either crash land in the field or put it down on the highway but um you know you never know what a person's going to do in an emergency situation and i think the pilots just froze uh they had already kissed their butts goodbye 
and decided we it was hopeless, and they just set us down in that forest. And I, you know, I remember I heard the, the tree tops uh, being trimmed, and then the last thing I actually saw was the plane breaking in half, and I saw a blue sky at the top of the plane, and that's the last thing I remember for about a month. Although I did come. I did come too when I was being rescued, and I saw Ronnie lying on the ground, and he looked very peaceful and very relaxed. And the, I remember I had the thought that, uh, well, at least Ronnie's getting some sleep right now, even in spite of this crash and all the chaos. He's getting some rest. February 6th, Jaws Marie and friends. Tom visits the smoking hot singer at Cowboys Red River. As much as I can before burning in hell forever for those prior remarks. I think everybody's accepted me so much, and if they don't, then hey, they don't have to like me. Um, I just need my fans. The Tom Gully Show once again bringing you the life of Chaz Marie, which you will see detailed in seven to 10 Lifetime movies, <laughs> each focusing on one of the obstacles she just mentioned to you, whether it's the pneumonia. By the way, pneumonia, look back into your presidents in the 1800s. Most of them died from pneumonia. pneumonia. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people, pneumonia, they're like, well, you know, she was doing fine, then she got pneumonia. Um, I just want to make good music, but I'm not dumb enough to think that uh, I can't write for someone else, too. And that's, that's why I still stay connected to Nashville, so that I can get those songs in the hands of the stars. And then I seen, because I was looking up at the rafters and whatnot, and I seen your picture up there. You just singing, they had your name below you and everything else. <laughs> I thought, boy and howdy, I'm gonna be talking to that girl in just a few minutes. But yeah, I like anything outdoors. I've, I've started to get outdoors a lot more. Um, except for skiing, I will never snow ski because I'd be the one that would go die on the bunny trail. Does it bug you that you're hot? Because I've always wondered what I would do if I was hot. I you know, because I've had to adapt all this through the years by, by developing an incredibly elaborate line of bullshit. And it's really good at this point, don't get me wrong. If somebody's blind and has low standards, I'm in there. It's, it's angry because I, I went through a really bad, bad, bad experience with a horrible person. Oh, this is so awesome. This is playing right into my hand. This is so great. I will never say anything. I'm sorry, this is terrible. This is terrible. This is, oh, I'm so sorry that you went through that. Yes. Uh, how long ago was this? Hopefully minutes ago. Uh, does it bother you in like, say, Stillwell, Arkansas, real bad mood place over and over again because there's some leather dudes that want to see you wearing that outfit? Nope, not at all. Watch it away, baby. <laughs> Tom Gully Show here, wishing we had a dime for every time we've heard a woman say, I'll be right back. I just have to change the batteries. Because the dude that dips Copenhagen, you know, is serious about something in his life. <laughs> Can I help me help with the James Brown? Get my throat clear. <laughs> okay. Body glue involved. Chad, can I tell you that a lot of people out there right now are hoping for a wardrobe malfunction? Yeah, I get told. Uh, actually, we had a, some customers betting with uh, Cassie in the middle bar that when my boobs were going to actually pop out. I'm going to go steady with just the notion that you discussed one of your boobs with another girl. Um, let's say Cowboys Red River introduces a drink called the Chaz Marie. Ooh. What's in that drink, girl? 
Whiskey! <laughs> I don't always drink, but when I do, it's a jazz marie. I'd like a cheeseburger. A number four cheeseburger. Please serve it to me with fries. I'm in a room with three really spectacularly beautiful women. And, and by the way, I should throw in before everybody goes, wow, what a lucky guy, and no chance with any of them. Looking like, you know, Andy Rooney with a good eyebrow cut. You know. What's your name again? Rachel Stacy. You need your own fucking show, honey, because, man, that story just went from who gives a damn to you freaking rock. February 11th, Elia Janine. Former adult entertainer, now a comedian and talk show host. Have you gotten any, uh, you know, New York street worker, hey, Aaliyah Janine over here, any of that yet? Or? I'd be like, if they're going to ask me, like, the standard, like, porn star questions to tell them not even bother. Your Twitter page, I swear to God, should be like a book or something that, like, sells at Hallmark stores or Maybe Spencer's Gifts is a better place for it, but... Yeah. <laughs> well, I love using the word cunt because Americans don't really like it for some reason. Um, they think it's, you know, it's a very harsh word towards women and whatnot, but the British use it all the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've never seen one of your uh, movies, by the way. I've downloaded one. It's here. But I just haven't, I've, I, I kind of sometimes, you know, put on a smoking jacket, get out a nice cigar and just kind of roll around on the mouse and think, do I need to click this? Do I need to actually break the seal on that whole thing? Or should we just remain kind of professional? I actually live in the same building as now the former um, New York City Police Commissioner. We actually live on the same floor. He's my neighbor. February 12th, Dr. Leslie Beth Wish, expert on love and dating. How daunting is Valentine's Day to a female? Well, it's daunting to both men and women. And a lot of people feel such pressure today. You know, the card companies, the candy, the flowers, the restaurants, the jewelry stores. And that whole dynamic has changed. Of, I mean, I actually saw an episode of Dick Van Dyke the other night where Laura was going, well, Rob, you're the man, and so I know you're in charge, and I'm just going, gee, what planet are these people from? A kiss of death in a relationship is when someone wants to change another person. I've never had sex with a woman who didn't know we were going to before I did. Now, are guys hard to read? No, they're not. I wouldn't think so. No, they're not. You know, here are some key things that women should keep their, you know, people reading antenna up for. Beware of men who are too charming. February 14th, Ted Krajahusiak, old school relationship expert. Ted, your advice? Well, you know, when you have a blind date, usually the problem is going to be a physical flaw. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. So... What you have to do is be honest, but be more tactful on that, you know. Don't come right out and say it, you know. Instead of saying, guys, you're fat, you know, say, you know, something like, you know, you might want to lay off the candy and the donuts and that. <laughs> you know, be a little more, uh, you know, less blunt. As far as I'm concerned, the score master of all time, mm -hmm. Jim Kirk from Star Trek. Captain okay. Kirk. Oh, yeah. You know. Gotta be. Right. 
and and uh, you know he he had a um, an alien in every part, <laughs> and, and <laughs> he had that move. And you told me about that. Oh, yeah. Why don't you explain it to uh, everybody? Well, see, Jim, it's true. God, it's true. Well, Jim Kirk never like approaches a gal from the front when he's talking to her when he's about to kiss her he always has to come from the back I mean like he's like always pursuing because he's predatory and I've just noticed that you know and it's always real dramatic the girl will go does it give you a great feeling of achievement to be the captain of a starship and she'll look out the window and walk over there real coy and he'll walk up behind her and say there's something more powerful than a starship and then he'll kiss her you know February 18th Cupid God of love and romance. Sounds to me like you're really not a very big fan of love at all. Oh, can you blame me? I've been doing this for centuries and it never turns out well. Let's say two crazy kids actually start dating. Yeah, first date, he's looking into her eyes and she takes a stab at her salad and some of that tomato juice squirts in his eye. That amino acid gets in there, takes a couple of days, it slowly works its way through the lining of his tear duct and causes an irritation and then, you know, where are you? Uh-huh. Uh-huh, pretty soon that thing's all infected and swells up the size of a grapefruit, and now your new girlfriend's looking at you like you're a shanker from the neck up. That thing's oozing and finally busts open like nobody's business, and all that pus and bacteria and whatnot just gush all over everything, contaminating it forever. Yeah, love. Yeah, yeah. Give me a wheelbarrow of it, and don't spare the surgical gloves while you're at it. February 24th, Rebecca Hertzberg, Tanya Harding drama expert. Through random happenstance, I found out that Rebecca Herzberg, scream queen, writer of crime fiction, VHS aficionado, is also addicted to the Tanya Harding, Nancy <laughs> Kerrigan story, as I am. She'll always be connected to, it, it will never just be Nancy Kerrigan, it will always be Tanya and Nancy. Eric Morris or William Pattison, whatever his name is, or whatever he goes by, uh, you know, where it's well, he's the guy, people. he's the guy I take the most exception to because uh, Elska McCain and her boyfriend Benjamin Frazier like to post people's addresses, like, uh, they like to, you know, uh, which that's just sad. February 26th, Abraham Lincoln, United States president and rail splitter. Yes, that's right, the one and only. Abraham Lincoln. Mr. President, welcome to the program. You know, I once walked 20 miles to return a teaspoon of cod liver oil. Yeah. But seriously, Abe, what was Mary like as a wife? Was she a good cook? Was she a good mother? To be honest, I suppose there were two things she was very good at. One was taking huge amounts of laudanum. I mean, she spent most of the day claiming to see Aztec temples and insisting over and over that she was aware of her face, whatever that means. March 14th, Julius Caesar, Emperor of Rome. Julius Caesar, welcome to the program, oh great Caesar. So you get up to go to work at the Senate one day, you're walking in, when did you realize that maybe things were a little amiss? Well, let's just see if maybe I can pinpoint the exact moment, um... I guess it might have been the moment that 23 guys walked up to me, pulled a tunic over my head like a hockey jersey, and started stabbing me with long, sharp knives. Yeah, yeah, I guess that would be around the time I realized 
This would not be a standard day at the office. April 1st, Lloyd Cryer is a douchebag. He really is, you know. Texas Frightmare Weekend is the biggest horror con in the country. Gotcha. All of these horror people that are just so incestuous and I, you know, it's like <laughs> such a, just a bad, um, yeah, you know. they didn't love me. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, God, man, get over yourself, dude. You know, I, you're going to be throwing tampons <laughs> from your booth. <laughs> like, first of all, isn't don't you get it that they're joking? And second of all, isn't that funny? And third of all, have you ever seen Carrie? Oh, Rebecca Herzberg thinks she's too popular for pictures. April second, Doctor Julian Angstrom, the legendary scientist, talks about April Fool's Day. With us is Doctor Julian Angstrom of the University of Nova Scotia's Department of Practical Jokery and author of the book Super Glued Scrotum. When good pranks go bad. Welcome, Doctor. Yes, as a matter of fact, the terrorist attacks on September 11th were an April Fool's Day prank. September 11th? An April Fool's Day joke on September 11th doesn't make any sense. Aha! So, you acknowledge the diabolical genius of it all, then. Yes, good. April 9th, crazy horror trolls from the independent horror community. Provide for me. I'm fucking not just a fucking white trash bitch. Even your fucking landlord would know that chicks fucking take a little bit of time and effort to get ready to go somewhere. You're more like a diva now. Like I'm not a diva! I just need fucking conditioner in my hair! It feels like shit! I'm gonna cut this fucking shit off! Just use some cheap shit today. No, I can't use some cheap shit to go to the titty bar! You had a fucking hot chick here who loved you, and you just treat me like I'm a fucking dog, and you think I'm gonna go to the tape bar and make money for both of us when you can't even fucking help me to look good? Because of you, I was ready to go to work! I fucking got ready for work! I got ready for work, and you fucking blew it! April 16th, the Extremely Late Christmas Podcast, only four months late. You're curious, are you? What made you that way? I don't know. My girlfriend asked me. He's, she, she just said, go ask that guy what he's doing. He's got a microphone. You do everything she tells you to do? Well, I try. Yeah. I hear you. So what's your name? Uh, David. Uh, and your girlfriend's over there in the gray long sleeves there? Yes. Yeah. And she said, come over and see what he's doing? Yes. Yeah, Why is it her business? She's curious. Why are chicks that way? Why? Because I there's how many guys here? Not one fucking guy has come over and said... Hey, what are you doing? Because you know what? Guys are like, who gives a shit what he's doing? You know, he's just a guy. I'm like, I just, I'll go ask him. You're a good guy, and that's why you're always going to get laid by like way better looking women than me. Talking to Jimmy Duvall, and as you can see, Jimmy, I just spoke to those girls for probably 30 seconds, and they've moved to another part of the bar. Now, a lot of guys would be put off by that, but I look at that as power. I look at that as I had an influence upon them. Uh, you have that effect on women, yeah. Well, some women, the fat ones, don't do that. You hear that? That's a guy and a girl. I'm going to visually describe this because I know you can't see it. It's a guy and a girl. And he's making a big deal out of the fact that he's kicking her ass in hair hockey. Dude, 
take a knee. You know what I'm saying? April 17th, Girls vs. Internet Trolls. Allison Grace and Rebecca Hersberg talk about being trolled. Yeah, and the boobs in this movie are way better than Elska's boobs. Um, <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a whole show right there. Elska and her boobs. Um, she's proud of them. I don't uh, know why. She, oh, well, we'll get there. We'll get to Elska's well, boobs. Well, according to her, I look, she looks younger than me. Well, William Fattison. Um, and I, and I know a lot of people don't make fun of fat, the fat people. I'm not, I mean, that's a description. If I wanted to make fun of him, I would say the shadow of the crack of his ass weighs 40 pounds, but I would never say that because I wouldn't make fun of him. Or I would say apparently at some point in time, Eric Morris, William Patterson, whatever you want to call yourself, somebody in your family told you, and you believed for the rest of your life, gravy is a beverage, but I would never say that. April 19th. United States Senator Gary Hart. Well, Senator, I am certainly not the political sage you are, but it seems to me that over the last 15 years or so, the climate of political discourse has become exponentially mean-spirited. Now, certainly politics have historically been charged by passionate people espousing strongly held beliefs, but today's climate seems to demonize opponents rather than criticize their ideology. Now, do you believe this is the case? And if so, what can we do to alter this course? I couldn't quarrel with any of your formulation. I think it's absolutely correct. What is unclear to me are the reasons for this. And and I have studied and thought a lot about it, and I simply can't account for it. I The best I can do is to think that there are an awful lot of people in America who are simply uh, disturbed confused, concerned about the direction of the country. And uh, some of this is is honest and straightforward. Some of it is motivated by less than honorable um, intentions. But it's brought about by globalization, uh, the internationalization of, uh, of markets and finance. It's uh, partly uh, the changing nature of warfare. We don't have uh, the greatest generation in World War II anymore. We have brush fire wars against terrorists, nameless gangs and clans that uh, no one ever heard of before. And um, the world is just simply a much different place than it was for older generations of Americans such as I am. April 26th, the Due South Convention. How do you begin talking about Due South? Uh, it's almost such a serendipitously wonderful show how do you start to explain it to somebody that hasn't been infected by the Due South fever? It's pretty, uh, it's, it's, it's not easy to do. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, as you said, uh, it's perhaps not quite as well known in the States as it is in, in Canada and, and I, I actually in Europe, uh, particularly in the UK, it's got a very, very strong, uh, very strong following there. Um, um, but it's got a, I would say it still has a cult following in the in the US. Um, how do you talk about due south? I don't know. It's like so many things kind of put together and mishmashed together uh, and and the result is like, wow, how you know how did that happen kind of thing, right? right. it it's it's a magical convergence of of things that had never happened in TV before. April 29th, Donald Sterling. Former NBA owner and current bigot, 
We're speaking to the center of a firestorm today as our guest is Donald Sterling. Why do you hate so many ethnicities? Oh, I don't hate them. I, I love them. I just love them privately. Privately. Well, of course. I don't know why people think I'm a racist. I love all the colors, the chinks, the spicks, and uh, yeah, they're brown people. Deeply, in my heart, like a cherished keepsake. You know, privately, in my heart, I love darkies. August 15th. The Jack Kirby Xeroxes. One, just one of the many things uh, that's notable about your career is that you were a an apprentice, a peer, uh, a confidant, and of course a biographer uh, uh, of Jack Kirby. There's the Kirby Museum. And if there's dirty dealings going on at the Kirby Museum, yeah, of course I'm going to say something about it. And I remember clear as a bell, we're, we're standing uh, late at night, 11-ish. Uh, he's putting a box of Xeroxes into his back seat. I'm putting a box of Xeroxes into his trunk. And we close the doors, and I look at him. I said, now, these are loans. I'm not giving you this. these. These are a loan. And, you know, Rand is like, oh, yeah, a loan. Yeah. And I also... When I come back for them, I do not want to hear you say, well, I thought you gave me those. And you know the first thing he said when I came back for him? Um, I thought you, oh, gave, you gave me gave those? Me. Yeah. 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 So, kind of interesting how that comes in a circle. Everything that I had connected to Kirby, you know, pretty much in my files, uh, I gave them. Talk about ingrates. September 10th. Sale Branch, Texas musician and skateboarder. Well, we're lucky enough to talk to the fantastic, the bombastic, the force of nature. Now, let me get this pronunciation straight. You've got a very unique first name. It's, it's spelled S-A-I-L-L-E. And, of course, I'm the fool that's been going, that Sale Branch looks like uh, he'd be great on stage. Now, how do you pronounce it? You silly fool, you. Yes, no, it, it, it is Sale. That's exactly how it's pronounced. First song I learned to play, yes I do. It was um, Suicidal Tendencies, I Saw Your Mommy and Your Mommy's Dead. That come over from Sweden, uh, the Netherlands, uh, all yep. over Europe that are just, I mean, it, they blow you away. And they have oh, ab yeah. absolutely no cultural indigenous, you know, surrounding them, rockabilly, you know, thing to draw from, but th that music has spread. The the thing about the, the Swedish and the Netherlands and even Japan, uh, Japan has an amazing rockabilly culture, uh, unbelievable. And some of those guys in Japan that are playing rockabilly, they're singing it with the hiccup and they're doing it. And they got the hair, the pompadours, and well, they're in Japan, so they got really great gear. Yeah. <laughs> those, guys, those guys are killing it. I mean, some of the best guitar playing I've ever seen on YouTube. September 11th, listeners tell their 9-11 stories. And I saw a clip that, the, uh, you know, an airplane had struck one of the towers. And I, like most people, probably thought it was a, I don't know, I did indeed think it was just a, a, a horrific accident. And then, and then soon enough, the next one hit, and then it struck me. This is no accident. And I couldn't help but think of all of the dreams and lives, especially of the children, uh, that were now changed and devastated forever because their parents were no longer 
people in their lives. And, and what was fascinating, truly, was that all the barriers were broken for many, many weeks. Uh, President Bush and Giuliani were united with people of different faiths and, and, and different, um, different political persuasions, and everyone understood in one moment that we were just one American people. Probably that particular day, I would have to say, would be the most surreal day I can recall of my life. I will never forget 9-11. I will never forget what it did to this country. I'll never forget what it did to our psyche, and I'll never, ever forget the warning that was delivered to us on that date. September 13th, interviewing the Ray Rice elevator. Yes, Tom interviews the elevator itself. We're here today speaking with a first-hand eyewitness to the altercation between Ray Rice and his then-fiancé, now wife. Yes, we're speaking with the actual elevator where the incident took place. What happened next? I'm no lawyer or crime scene analyst, but in my considered opinion, what happened next was... He knocked the bitch out. September 16th, Kirby Museum trustee John Morrow is full of it. I'm just a computer, and even I can tell he is full of it. But by the time we get there, there ought to be no, absolutely no question in anybody's mind that there's some shady behind-the-back stuff going on with people that are in cahoots somewhere with the museum. You know, I'm John Morrow. I'll leap into the fray. I know what's right and wrong for everyone. Bull. September 20th, the Kirby Museum's lawyer, their lawyer makes mistakes. Fact. Paul Levine has represented both Jack Kirby and the trust and has never taken any legal action to demonstrate ownership or the return of any items possessed by Greg Theakston. That's a fact. Fact, there is no signed document existing on earth detailing the exact donation, the terms, the items, and acceptance of such by both parties, nor any transfer of ownership document. None. Now that is a fact. September 24th, illustration icon Greg Theakstun. You got any thoughts on old John Morrow's blog post? I would, I would say 80% of all of the pencil art that he's published in 30 years is from the archive, my archive. No, 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 here's a funny story. It involves chocolate, okay? <laughs> Nobody else would know this story, but it gives you a little insight into what was going on with Jack's wife. October 3rd, Los Angeles trip part one. Just, just go to Google and write weird Chinese stories, and you're gonna find, you know, people that have various animals being born out of their ears, and. Uh, certain spices that they use in their foods that are made out of feces and stuff. I mean, it's just, it's crazy over there. Have you ever seen the cast of Nashville talk at a comic event? It's a TV convention or something? Oh, like when I first got the role of Jeter Skeetins, I knew that it was going to be, and then you see him in the thing and he's like, Daddy, I love you so much. I just, I love the air you are going to breathe tomorrow. I mean, not even the air you're currently breathing. I might mention that when I left for this trip, I never guessed that I would almost grow a vagina. He said, his, I asked him, what does your wife think about this? Oh, she's fine. She's fine. You never had an argument? We are almost divorced. 
Uh-huh. We see how that rolls. Well, but still, when when you when you call him out on it, he went. Well, occasionally I'll meet someone that that, but but I have to, as a professional, control my libido because it is quite powerful. October fourth, Los Angeles trip part two. Joining us in studio today is the legendary Tom Gully. This place is so cool. Is this really happening? <laughs> oh, my God. Happening? He said, what are you doing in here? Why are you here? Oh, my God. How he is goes, this happening? How, How is, is this happening? happening to me? How is this happening? <laughs> so, you know, 40 got, hours. I've got 40 or 50 hours of yeah. Kipadada on audio, and i got to tell you, mm-hmm. some of it's freaking gold. Right. And Kip also is a guy that, you know, it's like, uh, well, my third cousin's thinking of doing stand-up comedy at an open stage in Poughkeepsie. You tell that son of a bitch he has no reason or right to do stand-up comedy. Where is he trained? I've played more places than he's ever... Well, call the guy in Poughkeepsie. I'm sure you can knock him off the list. Yeah. He double told me not to stay at Lynette's house. Oh, you can't stay at double Lynette's house. Boy. Why? Don't do that. Well, you know, uh, I'll tell you after the break. <laughs> okay. More with Tom Gully. I'm Lori Downey Jr. I always take all the crap. <laughs> Lynette Miller, you do get all the crap. Don't move your headset. Right, what are the plans here? Uh, Tom's invited to Outlaw Radio. Tom, you're invited oh, to Outlaw you. Radio? I'd love to. I okay. Love Terrific. We love you, Tom Gully. I can't believe Howard has... I know, just fly. It just went by. Where is Howard Lapidus? Where is Howard Lapidus? Where are you, Howard Lapidus? With all your braggadocio. Where are you, Howard Lapidus? With your insolence. The Carson Show, and Matt owns it. This is the couch from the actual Tonight Show for the last 10 years of its run, which would have been 83 to 93. October 5th, Los Angeles trip part three. Once again, we bring you the vast and vivid palette of the American lifestyle here on the Tom Gully Show. We are screaming down the 101 South. I'm with Chris Gore, who I've known for years, sort of. 20 plus years. I've known you since 1989. Right. It's weird. I, I look back now, and a lot of the people who... You know, wrote for Film Thread back in the day. Now are are very successful in the film industry. This is interesting. I first of all, I collect colonial newspapers from the 1700s. Wow. Uh, I went to a auction in San Diego about 15 years ago and was lucky enough to buy a lot of about 500. Look, a colonial newspaper. I think I'll have it. What what made you do that? Um, it was the I love history. Okay. I was always been a history buff. And when I saw these newspapers available, I just said to myself, this is, this is a way to go back. And I'm walking around the house just shaking my head saying, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. October 6th, Los Angeles trip part four. When Serenity went to jail, she found out she was pregnant by my baby, quote unquote. Well, she got locked up for a whole bunch of shit. Her bail was at $2 million. Can you just imagine? $2 million? $2 million. I'm not making that shit oh up. Oh my God. From, I mean, you name it, it was on there. Well, she, like that's got to be some robberies and some yeah. uh, bodily injuries yeah. and some, uh, yeah, that's some wicked stuff. Two million bucks. Called a police officer. They even her fucking dog even bit a cop and they charged her for that. October eighteenth, the Ebola virus. We are speaking tonight to one of the most feared and dreaded sicknesses in the history of mankind, the highly deadly and infectious disease. The Ebola virus, also known as Ebola hemorrhagic fever. Welcome to the program, and what sorts of things do you enjoy doing in your spare time? I enjoy hiking, poetry, 
antiquing, pottery, and making people start hemorrhaging. And foreign films. But you know, I have to admit, it's mostly the hemorrhaging. I get a real kick out of it. October 20th, Ronnie Spears, the late, great Texas musician. We'll get a helicopter going overhead, sorry. Well, what have you been doing? That, those guys want uh, the music too, Ronnie. They want your music bad enough they're going to hover. Yeah, well, that's, uh, they're going to have to hover a while. That's a, that's a long way up there. <laughs> uh, we're going <laughs> to... Well, actually, I, I started writing. I was back in, back in high school. Uh, just... Uh, I just knew that uh, there was more to it than just playing other people's songs. I wanted to make my my position on uh, what was going on in the world, you know, so the only way you can do that is write the music that goes with it. All, all we do is just we kind of look at each other, and we, we've got it figured out by the time we quit looking at each other. So it's pretty, it's, it's kind of like brothership, you know. It's just, uh, it just happened. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's that's what the that's what the whole Texas music scene's about, selling stories. Um, the, uh, I mean, you surround yourself with good people, good things are going to happen, and that's what we all try to do. And if you're good to a lot of these folks out here, they're good back to you. And that's, you know, like the collaboration with uh, Brian Burns and myself back in the '90s. We. Uh, played a whole lot together. I was still running a band, but we still played a whole lot of acoustic shows together. And uh, our writing just started popping out on the road. Like I told you, I, I can't quit now. I, this is what I chose to do the rest of my life. So that's that's what I'm going to be right in the middle of. October 21st, Ronnie Spears and Friends from the Cowboy Club. Well, this is official Texas history right now for me because we're in a parking lot with Ronnie Spears. This is a big benefit for his aunt sue hey I, I thank you for being on the show and thank you for throwing this event wow what an assemblage of musical talent hey, hey did you have fun today oh good god that's what it's all about man yeah. it's all about that you know ronnie spears I've, i met him a few years back and uh, you know i'm new into dallas i guess i got down here about three or four years ago around the dallas area and i actually got lucky you know for one of the first times in my life meeting the guys that that kind of just kind of let me in you know and and ronnie spears is one of them and you know aunt susu she's she's a great woman she's the same way as ronnie just you know take care of you do anything that that you need you know i want brian burns now <laughs> brian burns Ronnie's been like a brother to me for a lot of years, and uh, so, so it's always good when I have the chance to, to meet up with him and, and work with him and enjoy his music like tonight. Well, I met Ronnie Spears back in 79. He's a country singer, he's a friend of mine. Brian and, Brian and um, Ronnie um, gave me my first they, they let me do a break one night, and uh, I, I don't know why. They, they had no reason to. And then they just, like, put their arms around me and said, hey, man, you ought to do this. And um, I don't know, I played two or three songs. And, and so to me, this is a debt to Ronnie I, that I've owed for, you know, 15 years, and uh, I'm just really proud to be playing it. Could you say hi to people on the show? Because they don't think you're real. They think you're a character that we made up and put on the show. Uh, but, dude, it's great to meet you in person. It is true that I exist, and I will come to your house for $100 and a reach-around. 
<laughs> no, I'm here. Sorry. I, you, you never mind a hundred dollars. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> at least the kids. The kids and I know you and Ronnie go together like peanut butter and jelly. I use the carrots, man. And if you're standing over by the jukebox, we'll play some Willie or some Hank or some Merle because we don't want to hear no damn Kenny Chesney. And it won't play Brown Eyed Girl. But if you play some by God Gary Stewart, everyone will sing along. Cause all them folks out there at that cowboy club, they just love them drinking songs. Don't you know? And I just want to say right now, I know this is going to be on the radio, so uh, I want to tell, I want to send out all my love to all the guys that showed up. I can't just start naming off all the people right now at this point, but I, it means the world to me, and it means the world to my aunt. And uh, we sure do appreciate you a whole lot, man. Thanks for coming out, dude. October 27th, author Patrick K. O'Donnell on his book, First Seals. Ladies and gentlemen, you've already heard me gush and fawn over our next guest and his accomplishments during the opening of the show to save him the embarrassment and awkwardness. And, of course, we play the dog company interview we did about his previous book, Every D-Day. Please welcome the author of the incredible new book, First Seals, The Untold Story of the Forging of America's Most Elite Unit, Patrick K. O'Donnell. Welcome. Thanks, Tom. They were decades ahead of their time. Combining intelligence and special operations exactly the way it sort of occurred on the, on the Bin Laden raid where he was killed. He's an action hero into himself. Before the war, he raced yachts. He, he was an expert swimmer. And I mean, the most amazing detail was the guy was in the Yukon and a mine collapsed on him in, in a gold mine and he dug his way out. <laughs> this guy is the ultimate survivor. And then they had a whole host of cool equipment that you know comes right out of a, a James Bond spy movie. They had inflatable surfboards, floating mattresses. They had something called the Sleeping Beauty, which is a one-man submersible submarine. Um, you name it, these guys were developing it. Uh, if we could talk about Sterling Hayden, I mean, that's the, that is the it's just another more, more every layer of this onion unveils another amazing aspect of this story. You know, famous Hollywood movie star Sterling Hayden was one of these guys that was in the very, very, very beginnings of the Maritime Unit and actually took on a pseudonym to avoid being Sterling Hayden. Yes, his name was John Hamilton. And Hayden wanted to, or that was the pseudonym that he came up with. He wanted to be part of the OSS. It's in the lakes of New Jersey, near his hometown, that he test dives this first scuba gear, this rebreather. And it's originally invented in his garage from an old gas mask from World War One, and parts from a bicycle pump, etc. And he develops the, re, the first scuba gear, the rebreather. And it right now is a bunch of old. It's a there's a couple rusted chains and remains of some buildings that are on the, the water near the Potomac, but it's all mostly weeds and infested with mosquitoes and snakes and everything else. But at Area D, they needed a submarine and there were no submarines to be had. So the OSS improvised, and they came up with 
a rotting cabin cruiser known as the Maribel, which they <laughs> they made into a submarine, and they successfully dropped the team, but they misdropped the radio. They think they dropped the radio somewhere in a lake. Oh. And when you're behind the lines in Nazi Germany and you don't have a radio, you're pretty much as good as dead. Taylor is is tortured by the Gestapo for 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 about a month, and uh, and then he is. He is shipped off to Malthausen concentration camp, and he's one of the few Americans that, that survives the camp. It's an extraordinary story. October 31st, singer Jenny Davo. Last night, I got excited about doing this interview because I was like, I am going to get to talk to Jenny Davo, and I'm also going to get to like show people how awesome these damn songs are. And I could talk to you about <laughs> redeeming. I could talk to you about redeeming for like an hour. Because yeah. when that, Go ahead, because the, I, 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 I'm like, that's my proudest moment. I think it's my simplest, proudest uh, metaphors or they all make sense to me. And if they don't make sense to somebody, I don't, I don't want to know them. You're going to need some redeeming, redeeming. Or Elvis would, him and the Jordanaires would just kind of move in and out of like a microphone, like in proximity and mix themselves sometimes. And that's amazing. You also don't go, (laughs) at least I don't anymore. Me either. When I wake up in the morning, it's like, it feels good to be an artist and it feels good to be uh, viable, make my living like this. I guess the key is just to keep doing it. I feel like I'm, in a way, a very tiny trailblazer. Some people just know me and are just diehard fans. And then, like you know, there are people everywhere who don't know me, like even coming to Texas. Two hours on the stage where all the lights drop and then you do this thing with the audience. And if you show up, the audience shows up and you have this thing that goes back and forth. Hey, listen, lady, if you remember anything about working with me at a recording studio in advertising, it would be, I, I really don't hand out compliments with more than an eyedropper. I know that I'm here. (laughs) I'm, I'm flattered and it's absolutely easy for me to tap back into, you know, heartbreak. And I, I love singing heartbreak songs. I got a map of the world. You should follow me. We'll set out to the edge and land in the deep blue sea. Are you ready for the lightning round? Some of these questions. I'm, you, I'm ready for the lightning you round. May yeah. have, you may have answered some of these and you, you may not have. Um, here we go. Would you tell Ann Ryder that I said hello the next time you see her? I absolutely will, because did you see she was at one of my recent shows? I know that, and she's a huge fan of yours, tremendous fan of yours. She's Um, a neat lady. She's so nice and so smart. That is the coolest chick on the planet. That's all there is to it. Yeah, she is. Now, I moved to Indianapolis after college, so I basically stayed in Muncie and got in any kind of trouble you could get in. I never really went to jail, though. So, but I did have. What's, I think whoa, whoa, whoa. what's really went to jail mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love that somebody with a 
you, a you-ness about, a Tom Gulliness about them likes my stuff. It makes me really happy. Tom Gulliness. Okay. <laughs> a Tom Gulliness. That's a good, that's a he good. He has quite a Tom Gulliness about him. That's, that's, that's a good stopping point. <laughs> Do you like uh, vampires? November 3rd, director Paul Cariazzi. He had made uh, three movies in the Philippines, and he wanted to make one in America. So we made the movie, and I wrote it up with him, Death Machines. That's awesome. It's also awesome that you can say one of your films was financed by bikers. Yeah, yeah you know, uh, some of them, some of them uh, did invest, and they got a part, and uh, <laughs> a lot of them would say, hey, Paul, do I die good? Yeah, you're going to die good. So, <laughs> and um, what I like about it, Death Machines is the top of the bill, and then the bottom of the bill is Dr. Shivago. <laughs> And everybody knows Jessica Walter from Play Misty for Me, where she chases Clint Eastwood around with a big butcher knife. Mm -hmm. And he wrote that and re-recorded it and put it at the beginning. So our action movie, now people say, geez, it really had a message. And that was because of Adam West. He didn't just take the money and show up. He, he And he gave me ideas. He went through the whole script and gave me ideas for um, uh pieces of business were that he wasn't even in for scenes that he wow. wasn't in and um we had a japanese um strange woman that ran the killers and we had a love story we blew up an airplane we had bikers we i threw everything in that in that movie now uh, can you say i listened to the tom gully show in japanese tom gully show mainichi kitimas november 6th the Tam Jam Benefit. We are at the South Street patio here in Arlington, Texas for a, a thing called the Tam Jam. It's a benefit for a wonderful lady named Tammy. Well, I, I think we ought to just go ahead and kick it off with some music. What do you think, Mr. Brent Watts? Let's roll! Let's roll! Let's They're both from Arlington, Texas, born and raised. And uh, you guys met in junior high school? We knew each other in junior high, but mainly high school. We went to high school together at Sam Houston High School. Graduated in 1978. Folks, we're here to do one thing and one thing only today. I'm not here to sing. Nobody else is here to sing. We're here to do one thing, and that's to raise money, okay? So get your $10 bills out. I'm asking for $200 right now to keep me playing this note any longer. I'll take it a dollar at a time. I'll take it $5 at a time. I'll take it $10 at a time. I'll take it $20 at a time. All that's left to say is, Kiss my ass! Yeah, it still didn't quite have the, oh, I need some more, oh. All that's left to say is, Kiss my ass! Oh, my God. It all goes to Tanya. So that's what we're here for. Raising money for Tammy, y'all. And Jay. All right. We'll be right back. I don't want to steal your love. I just want to hold you some more. Just want to sleep on your floor. Mm, you got to open the door. Everybody that's here is a fan of each other, you know. And and that's that's a really cool deal. It's just and, and to benefit someone like Tammy and make that all happen and hopefully make her life a little easier, you know. 
Tommy Alverson on a Telecaster is the purest form of country music. The purest form of country music. I, I just can't say enough about that. November 10th, Betty Page. Okay, so you're an expert on Betty Page. Yeah, I guess. And it's not the fact that there, there are a few people who are experts on Betty Page. I'm the person that reintroduced Betty Page to the public. Well, and, and that I, is where I stand alone. And you know what's cool is like some woman will see a woman wearing black bangs and think, "Wow, that's a good look. I should do that for myself." And not even know who Betty Page is. Betty Page and Me by Buck Henry. Buck Henry? <laughs> Say what? I was to read the thing. I'm like, why didn't anybody ever ask me about Betty Page? I had all of the answers all along. Like, what? Almost nobody had researched this period of sexuality in America in the 1950s. Almost nobody. Well, and that's another thing about Betty, you know, and her seclusion. You always saw her, but you never heard her voice. Well, how could you? Exactly. She was a pinup model. That, I mean, even in the few films that she was in, she did not speak. She was just dancing on stage. She had stage. a very thick southern accent, which she refused to ditch. Mm-hmm. And, and it kept her from a lot of Broadway roles. And I talked to her about this. I said, you know, like, what's the deal? Why didn't you ever excel on Broadway? She says, oh, Greg, you know, I just didn't go to the auditions. About a minute later, the Venetian blinds open. And I see a pair of blue eyes. And that's as close as I ever got to Betty Page. What you want is down the alley. November 11th, James McEachin. You know, if you hear the name James McEachin and you think about the acclaimed actor who starred in over 150 <laughs> television programs and motion pictures, you would be correct, but I can't believe the story of Mr. James McEachin's military service it's incredible how the whole thing comes back, and you look back on a career where you work with John Wayne, with Betty Davis, Henry Fonda, uh, Clint Eastwood, and all that stuff. The most important thing is the biggest star of all was the military. Well, okay, so we have the military career. Now we have the record-producing career. How do you go from record producer to actor? One day I'm walking down the street on Melrose Boulevard, Guy comes up to me, and he, he kind of looks me up and down. And says, "He says his exact words. Ain't you an actor?" And I said, "No." He said, "Do you want to be an actor?" And I said, "No." In a special kind of way, they are still offering their all to stay to us all. No veterans, no democracy, no democracy, no America. Happy Veterans Day, everybody. November twenty-second. JFK in Delay Plaza. Well, we're here in the luxury automobile of Dave Michaels taking the JFK assassination tour. My background is I was working for the Dallas Police Department. I worked in the physical evidence section, which is now known as crime scene investigation. We are right now uh, in the grassy knoll, correct? Correct. You're, on the, you're at the very end of what was a WPA project 
that was uh, started in 1938 to 1940. This was by uh, order of uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. FDR. FDR, that's correct. And the question is never about who. It's never about Lee Harvey Oswald. It's never been about Traficante. It's never been about Marcello. It's never been about Clay Shaw. It's never been about David Ferry. It's never been about any of these names I can drop over and over and over <laughs> yeah. again. It's the why. Yeah. Why was Kennedy killed? And these are the answers that the public has to ask because the, you know, every shot hit except for one. Yes, and it bounced off the street, and a fragment of it hit some guy in the cheek. guy by the name of uh, Tag over here underneath the underpass, and he was on the Elm Street side of the underpass, where a piece of fragment of, of concrete went into his chin yeah. and lacerated his chin. You're, it's a head-on shot. Right. From the sixth floor uh, uh, sniper's perch, looking back up Houston Street, as he makes that right-hand turn, he's looking right at, the, at not only Kennedy, but he's got Conley, he's got the Secret Service. And it's almost a standstill. It is, because you had to make that right-hand turn. You're only doing four miles an hour. Then you're slowing down to make the left-hand turn. Now you're at three miles an hour, and he's right in front of you. Yeah. So why did you wait till you got on Elm Street? And no trees, either. Not, nothing blocking your view. Yeah. So the question begs to be asked, why did you wait till you got on Elm Street? We just about killed a cat just now. I almost did. I almost ran over a cat. December 3rd, author Carolyn Day. Now, luckily, Ron had the good fortune to fall in love with Carolyn Day, an amazing person who has chronicled Ron's fight against leukemia in her book, The Last Tour. As, as he went through the, um, the whole thing with the end of his life and really searching and learning things about himself, he kind of realized it's, you know, how crazy it is that you can want to die. And then only four months later, all you want to do is live. And you're just praying that you'll live, you know, and that you won't die from cancer. It's a very unfortunate because if he had if it had gotten caught sooner, he might still be here now. Right. And right. that's what's really sad about it. Right. Because he was told on April 8th that he needed to get into um, treatment within a week. And, you know, MD Anderson's the top cancer center in the world with the most specialized leukemia department. They treat uh, 1,700 new leukemia patients every year. He had that resource right there less than, you know, 30, 45 minutes away. And everybody kept saying, oh, you can never go to MD Anderson. You don't have insurance. And so he ended up, you know, um, you know, he, he, he just didn't get the treatment soon enough, and he didn't get the appropriate treatment soon enough. And they said, well, everything looks okay with your heart. You must be having chest pain because you're so stressed out about something. What are you stressed out about? And he said, I'm stressed out because I have leukemia and nobody will treat me. So will you please get an oncologist in here? And then, and it worked because they, they, they treated him. I'll have you tell that story. I'm, I'm going to save the Ron Eckerman will kick your ass if you come to his yard story for the very end. Uh, folks, okay. if you're listening right now, you gotta, you gotta listen to the end because one of the funniest stories you'll ever hear Involves Ron Eckerman in his front yard at a is very. It really that, is it really that funny? I didn't yes, know it was it really is, that funny. It is so funny. It is so funny. hilariously funny. It's not even funny. While all this was going on, you guys were posting to Facebook and letting everybody know what was going on. And of course, you know, we went through a little bit of it with you where, where there were times where you, you would post, Ron is not expected to make it longer mm -hmm. than a few more hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this happened two or three times. Mm -hmm. The way that this whole thing happened and the way that you two handled it was absolutely beautiful. It was a thing of, I mean, it's obviously one of the worst things that can happen. Mm 
Mm-hmm. But it was done with such grace and love and reverence and respect and just it was it was mm-hmm. the thing that he wrote you that just I mean I'm about to start crying. The, the thing that he wrote me? You are my bucket list. Yeah. Now here's a guy who's terminal. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just, I mean, it just floored me. Yeah, that was my birthday card. His, um, I mean, during the whole time when people were like, oh, Carolyn, I can't believe you're doing this. And I'm like, well, what else would I do? I mean, what's the alternative? Go run, you know? I would tell people, I would call people and, you know, say, you know, Ronnie's doing really bad. He's, oh, and I would tell about how horrible he was doing. And then, you know, well, can I talk to him? Yeah, but he's very tired, you know. Then I would hand Ronnie the phone and, he, you know, he had this voice. He would all of a sudden grab the phone and go, well, hello. And, and oh, hey, I'm doing fine. I'm going to kick this leukemia's ass. And he sounded like he was doing a radio show or something and he sounded so healthy and it's almost like i think people thought well carolyn's exaggerating december 23rd late christmas shopping continuing coverage of my least favorite time of year which is the holiday season see you've got the spirit in you tom right now don't you no i like to get the spirit into somebody else but uh yeah so we'll be going out into this fun and seeing people yeah, I like standing in stores, you know, and just freely giving my money for crap, standing nut to butt with a bunch of evil strangers. It's fun, man. It's like, are you, is, is the 12 tenths of a second that you saved cutting me off? If you were Einstein or Lady Gaga or somebody was going to do something with that 12th of a second, great, do it. But you're not. You're a tool in a Volvo. What is it about guys that we don't, think about Christmas until what is this the 22nd and now we have to go into the jaws of hell I don't recall the Mayans predicting Super Bowl winners or lottery numbers it's not like the Mayans have been kicking ass in the prediction department for years and years you know what I mean even the Mayans could be off by a few hours Tom (laughs) right right we're not out of the woods yet is that what you're telling me because Nostradamus said 2013 all right I come from a long line of Indian people we just came here so what's your name sir Floyd (laughs) and i mean lithuania belgium the netherlands tons of people from england uh the usual huge audience from new zealand and australia horror of horrors kurt after all this has just informed me nice turn signal butt lick see there's a word you can use that's not profane Two packs of money and and exactly that's what he said all right i go what you know, and I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. You know, and I go two packs, and he goes, oh, and so now I'm laughing with him like I'm getting the joke, so I can get my card back. You know, and I go, oh, that happens all the time. It's the holidays. And he's like, and he's gesturing like a small person and a large person. I'm like, oh yeah, they get really tall around the holidays. We're not gonna go shop for the dancing cat iPod? Uh, I'm thinking about it. You don't even it. have to answer. I already know. We're... Uh, there you go. There's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what he would say if I went, well, hello, 
Cecil, so good to see you. What the hell do you say to me? Peinando la muñeca. Peinando la muñeca. That's especially for our Hispanic audience. Hi, I am Tom Gully, host of the Tom Gully Show, and I'm here to talk to you about the Tom Gully Show t-shirts. They're stylish, comfortable, and affordably priced. It's really a great way to show your support of the show, so we'd like y'all to buy one for yourself, and even better, yourself and a friend, because they're... Hey, boss, you want to sell more t-shirts? I'm your guy. Oh, hi, Vinny. Uh, folks, Vinny here helps out around the show from time to time. Vinny, you have a way we can sell more t-shirts? I'm all ears. Okay, what we do is we go out and we get a nun. You know, a nun. Then, if we don't sell enough shirts within about five minutes, we take a meat cleaver and we start chopping off her toes one at a time bam off flies another toe no 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 good christ no no we're not doing something like that what makes you think something like that could even work well you know works when you use a, a crippled kid instead of a nun Folks, we'd appreciate it if you'd go to the TomGullyShow.com and buy a t-shirt or 20. We'd like to thank all of our guests and all of our listeners, especially for making 2014 such a blast. And here at the show, we're going to do our best to make 2015 even better. Uh, just wait till our very next show for proof. I cannot emphasize to you enough how awesome our next show is going to be. And I have to stop and say, everybody that's emailed, everybody that's liked or shared or supported the show in any way, Thank you so much. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's fun to do. It's a, it's a, a lot of work, though. And when you guys send an email or do any of that other stuff, it just really makes it, you know, awesome for about three or four days. And then, you know, the Internet hatred will seep in for a day or two and then awesomeness again. And then just goes back and forth. Uh, folks, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this on your various Facebook pages. Trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here. We'd appreciate it if you'd like the Tom Gully show. Not me. Don't like. Don't go to Facebook and like me. That's foolish. Who would do that? <laughs> uh, but like the show, the Tom Gully show on Facebook, too. If the mood strikes you, the mood doesn't strike you, then you should probably do it anyway, but, but you don't have to. Uh, and, of course, there's always the TomGullyShow.com. That's where you can find out everything about the show okay and i might mention our mobile version is great it's you know it's you've seen it a million times it's a pretty standard mobile version uh but if you go and request the web version you'll be a lot happier there's tons more stuff on our web version than our mobile version i'm just saying god uh 
there's the Tom Gully Show store, which, oh, I should thank everybody. Christmas time this year, people went nuts in the Tom Gully Show store. I got to thank you. I never thought that people would buy some of the things that I have in that store. But <laughs> there's people that have. And we always encourage you to subscribe on iTunes for free because if it's free, it's for me. Follow us on Twitter at Atomic Palooka as well. You know, a heavy-duty media consultant that's talking to me about distributing this show uh, once a week sends me a note about why my Twitter handle of Atomic Palooka is not good. And I always send him back a note that says, do you remember how you met me? I also happen to be a social media expert, and guess what? That's just uh, something I'm fond of because it was the name of my first company, and I'm not changing it. So bite me. Uh, follow me there on Twitter because if I get enough clout and cred rating points, we're all going to go to the aces. That'll do it for tonight. I'm out of here. I got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you much later each night. And damn it, thank you, Jay Johnson, because each night Jay Johnson brings us in with the truth wagon. And go to jayjohnsonmusic.com and buy up everything that he's ever done. And almost every episode, uh, Russell Alexander and my favorite blues band, the Hitman Blues Band, take us out with Catch-22 Blues. And thank you to both of those guys, always. And uh, that'll do it. Hey, 2014, see you later. 2015, we're going to make you our bitch. And we'll see you next time. Well, the bug can't lift a twig for a dog that's nothing big, but he don't want to. And the dog can't grab a cat, a raccoon can do all that, but he don't want to. And I dream of you at night while you hold your baby tight, but he don't want you. You can see it in his eyes from the way he tells you lies, but he don't want you.